Welcome to the Indisposable Podcast, produced by Upstream. I'm your host, Brooking Gatewood. Thanks for joining for another episode celebrating solutions to plastic pollution. Hello, everybody. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing GL, the founder of our 2023 most innovative reuse company, Generation Conscious. Since 2021, Generation Conscious has saved hundreds of tons of carbon and diverted tens of thousands of plastic jugs from landfills, incinerators, and the broader environment simply by partnering with universities and apartment buildings and commercial real estate developers to install laundry soap refill stations. Through this simple but paradigm-shifting idea, Generation Conscious has built a zero-waste, zero-water infrastructure to end hygiene insecurity and transform our culture. With GL at the helm, Generation Conscious is also a first-generation Black-led company that employs local labor, reinvests surplus profits into BIPOC and queer-led fellowships, and ensures economic success is shared by workers. In this conversation, we will dive into how this game-changing business was born and what's next for GL and the team. GL, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, so let's start off, as I often do, with a little bit of background on you. I understand that the growing up near a waste station in Queens is part of what inspired you to found this company. So can you tell us a little bit more about the origin story of Generation Conscious? Totally. And I think much of it has to do with like my life journey. Um, however, four to five, I guess, summer of 2019, I was conducting research uh, just generally around uh, climate injustices the consumer goods industry where I started my career and found that there were actually nine waste transfer facilities where I grew up in Jamaica, Queens, in New York City. Um, And, you know, I had gotten asthma at a very young age. And while, you know, we're not 100% sure if it came from uh, our location and all of the waste transfer facilities, but there's a good chance that that was the uh, the cause and the impetus. So uh, it all started to really kind of make sense and come together for me. And then as I was digging deeper, you know, I have 15 cousins, six aunts and uncles who live in Trinidad and Tobago today, and they are all at risk of displacement from rising sea levels. And so it really crystallized for me how important it was that I you know, uh, started a company that could address waste, address carbon emissions, um, and do it in a way that also developed a new economic model such that much of the profits that we generate could be recycled back into the workers, could be recycled back into ensuring that people could live a dignified life uh, and had the means to be able to provide themselves with you know, shelter, food, and, and the very basic necessities uh, to survive, which seems crazy to say out loud. But yeah, that's that's very much the genesis of, of how we were thinking about it and why we wanted to start. And, you know, when you look at, you know, the United States, we are one of the greatest contributors and generators of waste and carbon emissions per capita in the world. Uh, from just a waste basis, we create 7.5 times more waste per capita than people in India, 2.5 times more waste per capita than people in China, and 40% more waste per capita than people in the United Kingdom. And as we started to actually you know, visit stores, whether it was a superstore, a pharmacy, a zero waste store, it really showed to us that in the US, weirdly enough, if you wanted to a refill, 
truly a refill that wasn't shipped to you. You go to a store, you refill your products. A refill of Castile soap tended to be four to eight times and sometimes 10 or 12 times more expensive than something packaged in single-use plastic shipped to you from Amazon or Walmart. And so this issue of eco-classism really sharpened. And that's when we started to see a gap in the market because you know packaging can be 10% of a per unit cost, last mile delivery is another 20%. And when you eliminate water from the packaging, uh, I mean, from the product, you actually need 90% less packaging. And that's when we really started started building and started thinking about this zero water, zero packaging infrastructure and tapping into the untapped potential of community consumption. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll pause there because I could, I could just keep going, but that yeah. was very much at the center of why we started this and where the opportunity was, uh, could be found. Yeah. You know, I'm always interested to sort of unpack these moments where what you've described to me is your experience of realizing that we're living in an insane system, right? And and then your journey of figuring out how can you uh, make a difference in that. And I think so many people have their own version of that struggle. And so you went from that realization to trying to figure out a business model that could address it and somehow fell into this focus on the laundry systems in particular. So maybe let's pick up in that step of the story. Did you have a moment at a laundromat or something like that where you got this idea? Where did the seed idea come from? Really taking a design thinking approach, we tested five different products, uh, liquid body wash, tooth tablets, uh, laundry detergent sheets, hand soap strips, uh, floor cleaner sheets, multi-purpose cleaner sheets with five different universities and thousands of students. And that is actually how we figured out that laundry detergent was the number one most demanded product by young people. We originally actually built a prototype to dispense liquid body wash. And it was through that process that we figured out that was an insane thought. Like, and it's also why most refill models don't work because it's predicated on kind of the tote bag problem where you need to bring a container with you. And we realize that no one in the U.S. is bringing 10 containers with them to the superstore. It's just not going to happen. Uh, and by eliminating water and also going with laundry detergent sheets, we eliminated all the friction points of refilling because you no longer needed a container. You could easily put those sheets in your pocket. And laundry detergent was the number one most demanded product. So it was a win across the board. And it was a product that was not already being offered on college campuses inside the laundry rooms. Mm. So that kind of ties into the next question I wanted to ask is you guys have only been around formally launched as a company for a couple of years and you've had tremendous success and growth already. So you're already speaking to one success factor, which might be that you really did your research to figure out what product to focus on. But what are some of the other factors that you think have really made a difference in how you guys have been able to hit the ground running with this idea? They say when you start a company, you need to be firm, but flexible. And I think what that means is you need to be really sure and confident about the ideas and your vision for the world, but flexible enough to be able to change when things come up or when you gather new information. And during COVID, everyone was, was encouraging us, investors, advisors, just sell direct to consumer. You don't need the refill station. Just sell direct to consumer, make money. Because we really couldn't sell the refill station because there was no campuses that were even open. 
However, had we done that, we would have just gotten lost you know, in the noise. There's no arbitrage today in paid media. And our true zero waste model would not have been able to come to fruition had we gone down that path. But our vision to build the most ambitious and efficient zero waste reuse model was able to come through because we were firm enough in our ideas and our vision. And because of that, it is truly what aligned to our customers' wants and needs. And so I tell people, we are the most customer and ecological-centric company. You know, there are very few companies that are building an organization that appeals to their customers' values, belief systems, and their dreams. Their dreams for what a new world can truly look like when we care for each other, we care for our communities, and we're thoughtful about our use of these limited resources. And we don't just engage in systems or products or processes for our short-term needs, but really consider our long-term viability on the planet. And then second, you know, what, what is kind of that special sauce is the fact that our students who are our customers are our go-to-market strategy. You know, these students are building coalitions, volunteering their time, across thousands of schools to bring Generation Conscious on campus. And if we had to actually pay those students to do that, you know, there's just no way we would go completely bankrupt. But they believe in our economic justice model because if they are successful in building those coalitions, they're not only able to provide hygiene equity for free for all of their classmates and their peers, but they'll also be able to provide jobs through our workforce development program for their low-income students on campus. It's amazing. So I'd love to hear kind of at a story level, some of the examples of these students going out on their campuses and how is it really working in practice? How do they find you or do you find them and they take it to their schools? And I know you also reinvest in student fellowships. So flesh out this part a little because it really is a unique part of your business model and also community building strategy. So we take the lessons that I learned as a campaign manager for moveon.org during the 2016 campaign, and that most political campaigns take around canvassing, getting out the vote, and leveraging the, the values that we share and the mission to see a new world, to get people to volunteer their time to get out the vote in the same ways that we do that on a college campus. You know, at a college campus, you have schools that have hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in budgets. And it's very rare that any of those vendors actually invest back into those students to help them, uh, equip them with skills to succeed in the world in a way that aligns to those students' interests um, and their career passions. And so we have a repeatable five-step process to how to build a coalition to bring Generation Conscious on campus. And that starts with surveying uh, students to determine, is there actually demand? And I can tell you now, out of the 100 schools plus that we have run this five-question survey to determine which hygiene products they're most interested in refilling, laundry detergent is always number one. Um, But also, when we distribute that five-question survey, there's a a question that says, hey, if you want to join this coalition, drop your email. And that is amazing because usually this coalition, which may start with one or two students, then expands to 40 or 50 on campus who are tabling to distribute products, uh, talking to administrators, writing proposals to get funding. So after that five-question survey is done, and we now have a you know, much larger coalition, those students are then taking the generation-conscious materials, which is 
you know, uh, what, what are in the laundry detergent sheets? How does the refill station model work? Um, what is the workforce development program? What does the life cycle assessment look like? How much less carbon and water does the university save? And they present that to the Office of Sustainability, Auxiliary and Facility Services, and then to student government. And then from once they get approval from all those stakeholders, they're then writing proposals to get funding for that program. And then once that funding is approved, we then uh, send our contract to procurement to actually get that signed. Now, all these five steps from surveying to tabling on campus to distribute products to uh, presenting the materials and the value proposition to the university stakeholders to writing the proposals to getting funding are actually all in our Google Drive. And so students are also then working together on Discord to share challenges that they're facing and also best practices. And I'll tell you, in just under two, two years since we've launched, we've been able to reduce the amount of time that students have to run a coalition from what was ultimately 13 or 16 months, you know, now down to about four or five months in, in about one semester. Wow. There's so much there. That's such a beautiful kind of two birds with one stone, if you will, approach and that these students are both getting a valuable service, but I'm also hearing they're getting a tremendous learning and training opportunity in organizing and in advocating for change that they want to see, which is an amazing skill set to be uh, helping them develop in the process. I love that part of what y'all are doing. Fundraising. And, you know, if you don't have resources, you you can't compete and they're learning how to fundraise, which I think is a positive externality that we were not uh, accounting for when we first started. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, tying into that, so I know that you guys have tremendous values-driven approach that is admirable at multiple levels. Um, The environmental values, of course, with reuse, and also your commitment to redistributing resources from your profits to BIPOC and queer leadership um, through your fellowships and otherwise. So it'd be really interesting to hear you talk a little bit about how that model works for you all and how you guys are able to integrate these values so deeply into your business practice. So I started my career in investment banking, covering consumer and retail. And I can tell you, if you and you can look online because many of these companies are public, traditional consumer packaged goods companies operate at a 30 to 40% gross margin. Once our refill stations are installed, we have a significant advantage over traditional companies because we don't depend on retailers to distribute our products, nor do we depend on Meta, TikTok, Google, or other internet companies for eyeballs. So rather than maximizing every penny of profit, We're using what would be traditional dollars on traditional marketing channels uh, that, you know, you would see Procter & Gamble or Unilever or have to spend on end caps at retailers to be able to get those eyeballs or on paid ads on Instagram on, you know, trying to have, you know, your company pop up every second that someone opens up their Instagram feed. You know, we're actually spending those traditional dollars now on creative fellowships and the stories that these students want to tell. And that can be, you know, in the form of a environmental justice magazine, a graphic uh, climate sci-fi novel, you know, a short documentary climate film. And when you're actually looking at the return on invested dollars, it's actually way higher than a whimsical Instagram ad. And it actually is being able to generate a lot more awareness about Generation Conscious and establish our brand and the aspirations of this brand to a much wider demographic. And while this is a very niche market today, 
you know, we feel really, really confident that if we can grow organically, utilizing, you know, traditional marketing dollars on creative customer stories, that we can actually build a long-term sustaining business that can grow year over year. Yeah, so cool. So smart. I mean, really, from a design thinking perspective, I'm loving the way that that you guys are bringing these often seen as totally different worlds of, you know, organizing and campaign development and then uh, your more traditional business logic and you're finding ways to have them uh, support each other so that you have more abundance essentially to work with and do something really creative with how you're running your business. It's amazing. I'll give you another example, just really short, is like the Environmental Justice Magazine where we highlight uh, different indigenous leaders and water defenders you know, who are really living in these high wetland areas of the Andes mountain region where they're mining illegally and legally for the metals and minerals of the green transition. You know, we do need a green transition. We do need, uh, you know, renewable energy, but we also need to be having a conversation about how we're making space for these indigenous people, respecting their lands and their rights. And it's just not something that is being talked about at all. And so being able to tell their stories creatively by the students who are also our customers and our workers, and then having them distribute that to other colleges who both have and don't have Generation Conscious yet, you are you know, killing many, many birds with one stone, but also doing the right thing while also generating awareness for the organization and what we stand for. Yeah. Yeah. And college campuses are such a beautiful place to be uh, helping the students in their overall learning process about how the world works and what the issues are and that you're able to, through the tabling and the activities the students are doing, that they're being part of that education process is another elegant part of your design. Absolutely. Um, so I want to ask also, I'm sure there's been big challenges along the way. There, there usually are when starting a business. So what have been some of the bigger challenges you've had to navigate and the creative solutions that you've been able to come up with for those? Yeah. I mean, look, whenever you're building a blue ocean business, you have the opportunity of little to no competition, but also the challenge of proving that there is a need in the market. Uh, and, you know, one of the greatest challenges has just been launching a new piece of hardware. It's really hard. But the greatest unlock to launching and then scaling that new hardware has been the community of student customers and fellows who are so passionate about collaborating with us to build this new world that they're eager in many ways to fix, repair, test, and deploy new features. Whereas if we didn't have such a strong community message and such a strong relationship with our customers, they wouldn't feel as invested in our success. And I think that is so important, particularly if you're launching a new piece of hardware where you know you can't remotely fix it like a piece of software. You truly need people on the ground who are, you know, highly interested in what you're building and have a vested interest in its success. Mm. I'm imagining you have some of these students that may spend their four years in college working with you all, and then they go off into whatever's next in their lives. And have you thought about what those longer term relationships might end up looking like? Yeah. So, I mean, first I'll say that we have a, a model around like regenerative community building where the second you work with us, you need to find a young mentee that is going to take over the program from you to make sure that this is long-term successful and can stand on its own two feet. And in many ways, it's the way that we sell it to the students that, look, you need to also be teaching young people what you wish you knew as a freshman. 
there's absolutely no reason that you are coming into this program having learned all these things and then are just going to hoard that information. There's no, the, the reason why much of capitalism can succeed in the way that it has for a small group of people is because of imperfect information. What I know, what you don't know, and how I can capitalize off that. And so, so much of, of this success is about sharing information, sharing knowledge, and making sure that it's being passed down intergenerationally uh, so that this can be successful and so that it can continue to grow. Yeah. And I'm imagining I have this student in my head that I've just made up that <laughs> does their program with you. And then they go off to live in some city and they're probably going to live in an apartment for a while, you know, as they're getting oriented. And then they might say, man, this apartment building could really use the same system we had in college. And I could see a growth strategy that would involve some of the students continuing to to be involved. Because I know you don't just do university campuses. You're also looking at multifamily dwellings and other off-campus versions of a hundred percent. Yeah. And also I would just expand and say that if you are an investor in generation conscious or an advisor, I have tapped you probably 94 times to mentor a student, help them interview, help them prep. You know, we are, this is, this is, no one is operating in a silo here. Like if you are working with us, like you are fully invested and we will not, we don't accept people selfishly not opening up their time, their energy, and their resources to help the next generation get to the next stage and help to build, you know, this new world that we're hoping to to bring forth. Yeah. And on that note, so tell us a little bit about your your big vision and dreams for growth for Generation Conscious and the larger long-term impact that you guys might be able to have. This can't be successful without a big vision, you know, and I think we aim to be the largest organization in the world that has built the most efficient reuse model the world has ever seen. Because today there's a trillion pounds of plastic that are being generated and half of that is coming from the consumer packaged goods industry. And so much of that is just a lack of supply chain changes and also because they have gotten customers so used to free next day shipping, really big, bright, beautiful, single-use plastic containers that are nice to see on shelf, that it's really hard to switch those customers. And for us, we believe that starting at the ground level with the most efficient, both economically and operationally, distribution system for CPG, we can be that big, big, big company that is resetting how we distribute, produce, and consume products, but also equitably employ people so they actually have adequate shelter, food, and healthcare and can live a dignified life. Yeah, amazing. Um, I am reminded there are those rare businesses that really do become sort of a new best practice and show other companies what's possible. And please do become one of them. <laughs> we want to be like Lush Cosmetics, yeah. right? We sell products so that we can fund equitable social justice causes, starting with creative climate student fellowships. Like we see Lush as the absolute epitome gold standard. Are they perfect? No, but they sell so to fund a more equitable world. That is, that is the goal, right? That is truly the goal. Like you don't need all these products in your life. Maybe you need a couple and hopefully we can have some of that profit to be able to fund a better world. 
Yeah. So becoming lush is a beautiful version of the goal. And I'm sure you have more short-term goals that are on the plate uh, that you'd love to share with our audience, as well as ways that people who are listening and feeling excited about what you're um, sharing with us now and want to help somehow. So what's ahead for you guys that you're excited about and how can listeners support your work? Great. So I'm going to move more into business model because you know, people make a decision because you're helping them make more money, you're saving them money, or you're creating value. For a long time, we've been creating value. And right now, we need to figure out how we're going to save institutions money. In the last two months, we've been speaking to the heads of facilities at some of the largest and most prestigious universities in the country. And what we found is that they approved generation conscious because our laundry detergent sheets through the refill station saves the university about thirty dollars to $40,000 a year in asset preservation costs. So what does that actually mean? The laundry detergent industry has long made billions of dollars off of intentional product design for overdosing, using more detergent than you need so that you keep buying more and more. That measuring cup that's indistinguishable from the amount that you need, some of those pods that are, have 30-plus ingredients that are way overdosed, What happens is that when students overdose laundry detergent, it creates excess suds and soap pollution that clogs the pipes and causes the machines to break and overflood with water. We have found that university facility folks are spending 20, 30 hours a week just checking the soap pollution to be able to preserve these assets that they hope will last 7 to 14 years but are breaking and having to need to be replaced every 3 to 5 years. And so that's one Two is the refill station has such high utilization inside dorms where we have upwards of 50-60% penetration. And we have this mind share. As students dispense their sheets, we have about 30 seconds of mind share with them where we can educate them about other actions that they can take to reduce energy and water costs. So for instance, I'll give you an example. As you wait to get your sheets, uh, they're starting to be dispensed We have three survey questions, like why do you use cold versus hot washes? Um, Do you know that cold washes save 90% energy costs? Did you know that if everyone in a public laundry facility, which is about 110 million people, if they all switch to cold washes, we could save 34 million metric tons of carbon emissions per year. And starting to work with universities to actually reward and incentivize students towards cold washes instead of hot washes. That would save the university, even as small as a school that has 2,000 students, about 100 grand a year. And so really starting to think through, how do we now take this model that is in such high demand and interest and being able to, one, save the university and other institutions money on energy and water costs, but two, educate these students about behavior change that they can take with them for the rest of their lives that are going to make huge impacts that don't require them to actually spend more money or to buy things. You know, we want to be so conscious of eco-classism, but also ensure that we are directing students towards a life of behavior changes that can truly create an equitable and just world. That sounds fantastic. Uh, It's really just so fun to talk to people like yourself who are actively every day, like making a meaningful change that 
is going to have such a big impact and already is having a big impact. So always a treat. Um, I want to ask also, we you were the most innovative reuse company choice this year for the reusees. And I am curious, how has that been a useful uh, accolade for you all, if at all? Yeah, I mean, so for many reasons, the reuse sector is under-resourced, underappreciated, and undervalued. Simply having the space and community to celebrate and share a win with our community, our clients, our customers, our investors has been huge. And I think there's so much more that we're working on through the Reusees network of connections with the World Economic Forum, the World Wildlife Fund, uh, the UN Environmental Program that will likely bear fruit in many more years to come. And so just having this space here today is honestly been amazing and being able to talk about it, meet other folks who are working towards an equitable and just green transition. I mean, without this, you know, who else is going to celebrate us? Who <laughs> would be no one? So we, uh, we're, we're thankful and we're also excited to, to build this community out tenfold so that year over year, each winner will have a bigger community that they can look to for support. Fantastic. And I know, um, you guys are on Instagram. Uh, you're looking for investors to support your growth. Uh, Genco World on Instagram. How else can our listeners support what you're doing and spread the word? Yeah, uh, you know we're also looking uh, for a fractional uh, tech lead, potentially a CTO at some point who's a full stack developer. That is a random request, but if you're out there, reach out. Uh, you're always looking for for investors who share the same values. And look, if you know any young activists at amazing schools, uh, tell them to reach out, tell them to send us a DM, tell them to email just info at generationconscious.co. You know, we are 100% word of mouth and organic. You know, we don't spend money on paid media. This is truly a community driven organization. So we depend on your word of mouth referrals to, to get us to that next stage. So thank you so, so much. And if you have any questions, you can always just email us at info at generationconscious.co to learn more. Fantastic. Truly a pleasure to talk with you today and to learn more about the really elegant thinking behind your model. And I wish you guys all the success in the world. And thanks for spending time with me today. Of course, you're too kind. We appreciate the time and look forward to uh, supporting you as well. And that's our show. If you like what you're hearing, help spread the word. Subscribe to the Indisposable Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Add a review, talk us up. Nobody spreads a message like you. The Indisposable Podcast is brought to you by Upstream, sparking innovative solutions to plastic pollution, envisioning a world without it, and empowering businesses, communities, and individuals to imagine and co-create this future with us. You can find resources mentioned on today's episode as well as learn more about Upstream's work at www.upstreamsolutions.org. Follow us on social and join the movement. There's a better way than throwaway.